0: Hi everyone! Before we get started with today's episode, we have a few announcements to make. First off, here at The Gayly Prophet, we are very aware that there's a lot of heavy shit going on in the U.S., a lot of protesting over the multitude of Black lives that have been ended due to police brutality. I know there are some podcasts that are, you know, delaying their shows just trying to figure out you know what they're going to do uh we are going to continue as normal because we really feel in these times it's even more important to have something that brings you joy and a little bit of an escape from how terrible everything is so this month we will still be airing uh, our escape from reality episodes and because this is our second pride month we'll have some special pride episodes but we just wanted to let you know that we're, we're still here, and we're still going to be giving you guys some uh, not as heavy content.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so it's funny because this episode that you're about to listen to talks a lot about how much J.K. Rowling can't be trusted with allegory, but in this instance, she actually did provide us with a really good allegory for figuring out what everyone's position should with a capital S be right now. So I'm just going to read the statement that we put out on social media in case you didn't see it, uh, just so that no one can be confused about what our stance is or what we think your stance should be. Uh, So if you believe that you would have stayed to fight the Death Eaters, then right now is your opportunity to prove it. The Battle of Hogwarts was against the law. The Battle of Hogwarts was a fight between an oppressive, murderous government and those who refused to tolerate their regime. It resulted in significant property damage. It was not peaceful. If you agree with Harry that that fight was necessary, then you need to acknowledge that this fight is necessary. And um, since we are, you know, this is our first Pride episode, let's also just remember that Pride is in existence because of people rioting and if you aren't behind the uprising that's happening right now you don't get to celebrate pride this year or ever
0: yeah i mean pride pride was started as a response to the police brutality against queer people which still continues today like let's just be real especially for black and latino queer people especially for Black and Latino, queer, trans folks. The co- like cops are still not safe for a lot of folks. And that is why there shouldn't ever be cops at Pride. And that's why you should be embracing what is happening because that is how change happens in this dumpster fire of a country.
1: Yeah, so to that end, we're going to talk to you now about the things that we are going to be doing to celebrate Pride Month, starting with some ways that you can contribute financially to organizations and jesse is gonna talk to you about that
0: uh yeah so we are uh we'll be having a sale for pride month we will be donating all of the um sales and any money that we make this month on patreon between june 1st and june 30th to the lgbt bail fund This is a really rad organization. They describe themselves as an organization that posts bail to secure the safety and liberty of people in jail and immigration detention who are disproportionately black, brown and trans. So this is, you know, an excellent organization. People shouldn't be in jail ever, let alone during a pandemic and definitely not because of protesting their right to live. So this is a great
1: place for us to be giving our money to. And the perfect intersection of the Gayly Profit interests.
0: <laughs> it, 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 truly, it truly is. So uh, everything will be 13% off in our shop. The sales code, uh, which is also on our website, is going to be BGDC2020. And as someone pointed out on Twitter, if you are queer and have ever said be gay, do crimes, you definitely need to donate some money to one of the organizations of folks out here fighting against police brutality. And y'all, we planned, we planned something, the next thing I'm about to describe, because it's like, oh man, this pandemic is really rough on everyone mentally, and then everything got worse. But we, for your personal in-home enjoyment, have a activity book, a queer Harry Potter themed activity book free for your enjoyment.
1: Yeah, I'm calling it a queer wait harry potter themed queer rated r highlights magazine this is something that i've been curating for you folks over the past few weeks and a lot of really cool artists very kindly were like oh a deadline in a week and a half for this idea that you just had out of nowhere absolutely i'd like to participate (laughs) so there's gonna be a lot of really cool stuff in there jesse wrote Fanfic Mad Libs that are incredible. Um, I made you a crossword puzzle and a word search and some connect the dots. There's going to be a bunch of coloring book pages and other stuff. And that's going to be available starting on June 4th It'll be in our shop. It's free to download as a PDF, and if you don't have a printer, then you can get a physical copy for just the cost of printing and shipping, so I think it'll be like 3 or $4. So yes, there's going to be that. We are going to be doing a bunch of stuff on our socials, so make sure that you're following us at The Gaily Prophet on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We're going to be live tweeting the third movie on June 26th and of course there's the uh, special episodes that we do that you're about to listen to the first the first one of where we interview other queer people about topics in Harry Potter that are dear to their hearts. So was that all the things?
0: I think it was all the things.
1: Cool that's that's all the information I think that we need to tell you right now, and we're gonna get into this episode
0: oh see Ron is sitting next to my mic
1: again please enjoy this cat pairing to calm your central nervous system
0: i'll uh, I'll post photos of him sitting next to my mic in the in my at home recording studio. It's pretty fucking adorable yeah considering fostering a dog or a cat during this coronavirus time it's pretty rewarding gay okay. okay, people love puns
1: I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast
0: <laughs> Girl, this book causes satanism what is left for us to rant about there is nothing straight
1: about plum velvet
0: <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that
1: <laughs> monocles are impractical but hot I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person.
0: I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall.
1: Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a podcast where two queer IRL witches talk about non chapter related Harry Potter stuff because it's Pride Month and we want to. I haven't introduced this kind of episode in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Woo Pride Month! <laughs> yeah.
1: I am, however, America's favorite Griffin Dandy, Lark Malachi Gray.
0: And I am Griffin Dyke extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about possibly one of the most controversial things in this series, which is saying a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it really is.
0: Um, and that is we are talking about werewolfism as a metaphor for HIV.
1: Yes, and here in our virtual studio to talk about this with us is an incredibly special guest, my best friend for the last 20 years, <laughs> Jesse's girlfriend, objectively the reason the Gailey Prophet exists <laughs> at all. Nicole Stack, welcome to the Gailey Prophet.
2: Hello. So excited to be here finally.
1: <laughs> yeah, it only took 75 years, however long <laughs> we've been making this podcast.
2: I've heard heard many a giggle through the muffled door of the <laughs> room where Jesse records the podcast. So
1: You were you were recently on a Patreon exclusive clip from oh. from an episode. I don't know if you heard that or not. Was it was when like... you were teaching us how to speak French. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, that's better content. I feel like usually when I interrupt the podcast, I'm like, "Hey, when are we going to make dinner?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Or like, "This bread is burning. <laughs> Did you mean for that to happen?" <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but can you tell us tell not us, can you tell our listening audience why uh you are a special guest on this episode? What are your qualifications?
2: Well, uh, aside from being, you know, the the glue that holds the Gailey Prophet together, obviously, <laughs> I am on this very special episode. Um, I So I work uh, as a nurse in Detroit, and my background before getting there, I worked at Planned Parenthood, obviously doing a lot of uh, sexual health education. I worked as, like, kind of a medical assistant there for many years. And prior to that, got the opportunity when I was in college to work with ACT UP, which is a super rad organization. Um, I'm sure we'll end up talking about it at some point throughout this episode. Um, and if you don't know about it, it's worth looking up.
1: Can you give us a brief rundown of the Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For our younger listeners, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, ACT UP is was founded in the 80s um, during the beginning and kind of the peak of the hiv aids epidemic um it was founded by basically it served to politicize the aids crisis it started in new york was founded by a group of radical gay men um and it's kind of like since then spread it uh, throughout the world and is still active today in advocating for political change and rights for people living with hiv aids awesome yeah super cool super cool folks
1: with like really cute advertising
2: yeah yeah no actually yeah like one of their their big reasons like really specifically one of their goals is to be very what's the word like attention getting and again to like attract people's like attention and outrage to what's going on and so as a result yeah if you need like a cute t-shirt they got you covered give them some money uh (laughs) actually just
0: Found out today, looking at their website, that they have a very cute denim vest that is buy one, get one free, that says (laughs) silence equals death on the back of it that I'm probably about to buy. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, probably like the gayest item one could possibly own, so.
1: Definitely. Anyway, so we're going to split this episode up into two parts, sort of part one, where this allegory works, and then part two why this allegory is the coldest of takes (laughs) so that's uh that's what yeah that's where we're gonna start though is with sort of book three specifically jesse's gonna handle part one actually so i'm gonna stop talking (laughs) (laughs) oh wait sorry i forgot that i was gonna read the thing from jk roland yeah
0: I was like, wait, I feel like there was something that you were gonna say that was important.
1: There was. I'm just not looking at my notes. Okay. So before we get into that though, here is sort of the what makes this theory or whatever canon is that JK Rowling has publicly stated, and I think it's it's in like a ebook that she published. Anyway, here's the quote. If you look it up anywhere, this is the quote that you're going to find. Lupin's condition of lycanthropy, parenthetical, being a werewolf.
2: Wait, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Um, But somewhere in this episode, you have to put the amazing Shakira song, She-Wolf, which includes one of the finest lines ever sung on Top 40 Radio, this is lycanthropy. Maybe that can be, like, the little, like, interlude uh, soundbite. I don't know. Very That's, important to this yeah, episode. Yeah, no, you're
1: completely right. Gotta put right. that in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I,
0: like, okay. I, like, didn't even know, so I've already I've already learned something It's not even, like, ten minutes into this podcast.
1: Okay. Uh, so, the condition of lycanthropy was a metaphor for those illnesses that carry a stigma, like HIV and AIDS. All kinds of superstitions seem to surround blood-borne conditions, probably due to taboos surrounding blood itself. The wizarding community is as prone to hysteria and prejudice as the muggle one, and the character of Lupin gave me a chance to examine those attitudes. (laughs) Everyone's head shaking is (laughs) absolutely the right reaction (laughs) to that quote, but we're starting with the good stuff, so... Uh, yeah, Jesse, please kick us off with that.
0: All right. So illness as a, as a metaphor or a trope is a pretty big thing in the culture of humans because we get sick a lot. So this is not at, at any means alike.
2: Very timely. I <laughs> mean, you know, given the current quarantine situation. Oh, yeah.
0: Anyway, so illness is a trope as a metaphor. Pretty historic. Pretty one of those universal tropes. I would say. And there's a lot of things that come up a lot in these tropes. Um, And, like, not all, like, obviously not all illnesses, but things like HIV. And as I found out in my research, syphilis. (laughs) I guess syphilis in a different way. But, you know, there are some illnesses that kind of come with people having a lot of shame around it, having to, like, hide these illnesses from people around them from their employers um which was definitely a thing that happened in the 80s during the height of the hiv crisis where you could be fired for test for being positive so we have lupin who we don't find out is a werewolf to the end the book he has been hiding it this entire school year and is basically and basically has to quit his job because the because once he's basically outed as being as having this illness he knows that none of the parents are going to want him to teach at this school which is fucked up uh and in general lupin has a history of like hiding this illness from people like he hid it when he was in school and is it is it's this book where he mentions that like he if it wasn't dumbledore as the headmaster he wouldn't even be able to go to school to go to hogwarts anyway because of his illness and so those and so these are things where it's like we see this trope happening IRL with other illnesses, and then also just kind of like we get this sense at the end of the book that there's a bit of a hysteria around it, where you're like, "Well, why can't you have werewolves going to your school or teaching your children?" And I mean, it's it's basically like the way that Lupin anticipates the way that a uh, parent at the school and the other students see him now is sort of. Uh, reflective of the way that people tend to have a fear of a contagion or disease, um, thinking that it's much easier to get that disease than it actually is. Um, As we see in the books, you can only, you get it if you're bitten by a werewolf, when when it's an actual wolf, not when it's a person,
1: as we see in later books. And in this book, the other thing is that, we don't get any of like like we see that Lupin has had a hard life and that he like hasn't he shows like tells us like he can't stay teaching and like presumably hasn't really been able to work and he's very poor. But we don't get any like Fenrir Greyback or like werewolf communities. Like the the things that I think make this analogy problematic don't show up in this book, which is why I think earlier on where we're just seeing what the stigma that Lupin is breaking for us by showing us that like he's totally safe to be around he's sort of showing that to us until he like forgets to take his potion and then like puts everyone in danger at the end of the book so already here we're seeing that it's a problem but you know as far as like okay the point of this is to like break down stigmas when we're just looking at Lupin I think that there's much more potential for this allegory to work as, you know, if we assume that the goal is everyone's prejudice is completely unfounded and this shouldn't be what his life is like.
0: Yeah. And I feel like once we get to the end of the book, and as we've said many times in this podcast, that like, not only is Lupin like, objectively the best teacher they've ever had maybe at all during in any of the, t- any of the teachers, like he's so good at teaching. Like he's so good at caring for the kids. And you're like him having an illness that affects him a few days out of the month shouldn't, and you, you just feel very deeply. You're like, this shouldn't mean you can't teach, what you're good at to these kids because some people are like concerned about your illness. Like it's, it feels right. like bullshit because you're like, but Lupin, you're so great. No,
1: we definitely leave this book devastated that he will not be the defense against the dark arts teacher next year.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. So with that context uh, and no clear question, because we <laughs> are terrible at framing interviews as question based uh activities <laughs> can you give your input on how like whether or not this actually works as an analogy
2: yeah i mean i yeah i agree with everything you guys just said so like for example i i think it was a lark who first asked me about coming on the podcast to talk about this topic and i'm you know obviously like a big harry potter fan i've read the books a bunch of times but i'm nowhere near as immersed in, like, the fandom as you guys are, so I was not familiar at all with J.K. Rowling's statement or how people had reacted to it or anything, so Lark was just like, oh, like, hey, like, we want to have you on the podcast to talk about, you know, werewolfism as metaphor for HIV, and I was like, okay, cool, yeah, and I'm kind of, like, thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, I've never really thought about that, like, yeah, I guess that kind of works, and then, like, probably, like, five seconds later, I was like, actually... Like you know, I'm like thinking about the whole context of the books. I'm like, I feel like this is kind of problematic. And like in my head, I didn't know what perspective you guys were coming at it from. And so to myself, I'm like, I feel like this is actually really problematic. And how am I gonna how am I gonna break this to them <laughs> that like this is actually like not really appropriate way to frame a like person who turns into a wolf once a like uh, you know right from the jump like. I think, you know, exactly, like, in this book, especially with Lupin painted as such a sympathetic and reasonable character, you can kind of find, like, you can see why she chose to have this be the metaphor, right? Or, but at the same time, like, many things that J.K. Rowling does pretty quickly are, like, you didn't think about this at all! You just, like, were, like, let me get some points from marginalized people without actually consulting any of them. Yeah. So... Surprise, surprise.
0: (laughs) Which is especially fucked up considering how so queer-coded Lupin is.
2: Well, and, like, the thing is, to be honest, like, I feel like being a werewolf, like, even if you just look at this book and Lupin, I honestly feel like being a werewolf is a way better metaphor for being queer, to be honest.
1: I mean, I'm, my reading of werewolfism is that it's an allegory for being trans
2: oh yeah yeah i think that works way better for way sure. better for sure
1: which is like how we're gonna be reading it when we talk about it this interview is so that no one can be like you never talked about that <laughs> and we're like we fucking talked about it so good and now we never have to talk about it again yeah. because it sucks
2: yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, being, yeah, if you're queer or trans, you just gotta go, like, rage once a month, because the <laughs> world around you is so fucked up, like, that works so much better, and, you know, even thinking about in the context of Lupin being a school teacher, like, that is something there were active campaigns about in the past, to not let queer, and I, I think at the, at the time it probably didn't explicitly include, include trans people, but, like, that, not to say that anyone with HIV wouldn't face also face a stigma specifically working with kids, but like, I just, I mean, the only the only clear thing that makes it more linked to something like HIV is that you like quote unquote catch it from someone. Right. But again, people that are afraid of LGBT people interacting with kids are afraid that they're either going to get it from these people who teach them that it's okay to be lgbt or that they are going to hurt their kids because anyone who's queer or trans is obviously going to like just obsessed with sex and is going to molest their kids right so like it i feel like that metaphor honestly tracks way better i guess there's no like potion that you take to get rid of being well you, there's potions you can take to get rid of dysphoria so right. like I don't know, but obviously you know there I mean, are places where the metaphor breaks down. Take testosterone
1: long but... enough and your period goes away, which is your moon-linked ailment, right? Right.
2: That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like I'm like I feel like there's another way you could look at it, right? Is like you know having a period once a month that goes with the moon. Like you could go in that direction. Yeah, I don't know. J.K. Rowling, unsurprisingly, took the wrong path. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> so right. So even in this book where the allegory it comes the closest to working it's already failing
2: yeah yeah i mean again like there are definitely like some points that you can pick out as working well with this metaphor like the main one being you shouldn't be afraid of people that have hiv aids Um, it is obviously a chronic illness, but, like, a lot of chronic illnesses can be managed with potions, and if you take those potions, correct, if you have access to those potions, which is a big deal, but, like, if you have access and you're able to take them correctly, you pose absolutely no danger to anyone, um, and also that it is something that obviously has an enormous stigma still today and that preoccupies and really outsized part of, like, the human imagination, for lack of a better word, in the same way that, like, if werewolves were real, becoming a werewolf would be. So, like, there's, you know, there are obviously points where you're like, okay, I can see where this lines up.
1: Right.
0: And I feel like the accessibility part does come up in this book where it's like Lupin didn't have access to the Wolfbang potion until he's literally teaching at Hogwarts. And, the, and, like, not even because he's a teacher, because they happen to have someone at Hogwarts who can brew this complicated ass potion.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that also, like, is unfortunately, like, pretty realistic in our world. Like, you know, you have to, A, like, live in a country where HIV medications are accessible, and then, B, have the, like, health insurance... Or money, and then on top of that, the wherewithal to manage it—you di- know, like it's—it's it's pretty complicated. Arguably, like for a lot of people, as complicated as having to have someone brew you a wolfsbane potion. But so yeah, that's another part of the metaphor where, you're like, yeah, that's totally true. Like you, you know, it can be obviously managed, but you also have to be in the right set of circumstances um, for that to happen. And if not, and if you don't have access to those things, well, again, and and then here's it, like, starts to break down again, where you're, like, if you don't have access to those things, really the main person that is being harmed is yourself. Whereas, again, the big thing with becoming a werewolf, you know, Lupin, I guess, if I'm remembering correctly, like, after he's been a werewolf for a few days, like, locked in a, in the shack or whatever, he... Doesn't look so great, but the main issue is like, what if he got out and hurt someone? Whereas, like, obviously HIV is transmissible, but the main person that it hurts if it is not being managed is the person who has it.
1: Right, because I mean, I think, I guess, a, a, another way that that this metaphor does work is that so now, like, now, now in the part of the book that we're currently reading. <laughs> Lupin has access to the Wolfsbane Potion. And so when he transforms, he is basically a regular wolf. So he's not even, like, a risk at all to a a peaceful wolf, whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas when he was a student, I guess the Wolfsbane Potion didn't exist yet or whatever. And so he was, like, locked up in the Shrieking Shack to, like, be a full you know whatever Mm -hmm. werewolf in both of those cases his risk of hurting someone else is protected so I feel like it's like one is better for him Mm -hmm. than the other which I think works as far as the like even if you don't have access to the medications to control HIV you still have ways that you can like keep yourself from spreading it right like you can still use protective mechanism or protective barriers when you are having sex with other people and so it's still like condoms are the shrieking shack right yeah. and like medication <laughs> <laughs> sorry jesse yeah. i didn't mean to make you spit water everywhere
2: no you're no like that's okay yeah yeah okay so wait hang on here <laughs> so the shrieking shack is condoms I'm, I'm on board with this that tracks and then wolf spain wait a minute Hang on. Sorry, I'm trying to think here. Because he is antivirals. Into, right, would be like the medicine. I was going to say it's PrEP, but PrEP is being an animagus.
1: Yes, it is. 100%. Think, yeah,
2: that's kind of where these all... Which I don't... Right. When she wrote these books, PrEP didn't exist. So that's definitely what not what good old JK had in mind. But yeah. yeah. So... Now, everyone can, if everyone could turn themselves into an animagus, if they were going to interact with a person who was turning into a werewolf, that would be the equivalent of prep. So, like, if your loved one is a werewolf, you learn to become an animagus. How do we, you say that word?
1: <laughs> I say animagus because it is animagus. rooted in magician.
2: Wait, is animagi the plural? Oh, Lord. Yeah. Okay.
1: Animagi is, is plural, I think. Okay.
2: Okay. So, yeah. Although, I guess, like, I'm trying to think. So, then, if Lupin turns, I I can't remember. So, he just turns into a regular wolf and just hangs out?
0: I thought it was that like he he's like a wolf, but he still has his like human consciousness.
1: It's not yeah. like well, but
2: he still he can't can like control. go teach his class as a wolf. Well, but,
1: I mean, I mean, actually, he one hundred percent could because he's only a wolf at night, and there's absolutely no reason that he gets locked up for the entire yeah. three days unless he doesn't feel good and so is actually just like taking sick time because okay, okay, he's having cramps. Because it's actually an <laughs> analogy for being FTM trans.
2: Yeah, no, that, again, that works way better. It's less of a stretch.
1: But he's having a flare-up, moral of the story.
0: <laughs> Except that still breaks down once you get to the later books, and you're like, okay, so all the other werewolves are, like, super evil and want to just eat people? Like, what the Correct. fuck?
1: Like, the the analogy in, in any case, when you get to, like, Greyback, is just ruined basically
2: and here's where like if it was written differently it could actually still be great as if Fenrir Greyback and his followers were not like fascists and were instead like you know you could also if you kind of ignore a lot of what was written about them in the book, you could see them as activists, because they are these people that are like, fuck you, I'm a werewolf. You know what I mean? I mean, granted, they're like, fuck you, I'm a werewolf, I'm going to attack you, which is, again, where this, like, kind of breaks down. But, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm a werewolf, like, deal with it. You all should be werewolves, too. Like, again, this, this it, it does read a little bit like, I don't know, The Gay Agenda, or... <laughs> to some degree like act up i mean no one's out here being like everyone should have hiv so again it doesn't work well with that but they are campaigning for werewolf acceptance in a really fucked up way i'm not pro
1: i mean he could he could be
2: or at least
0: like not hiding it it's like
2: i'm a fucking werewolf and it's like... like visibility right which when like your other option is like this is a horrible secret that no one can know. I mean, those are definitely, we have the two terrible extremes. There's And there's not an in-between presented in the book like there is in reality, but yeah.
1: Yeah, so let's get into, you know, where this all gets, like, super awful. We don't really meet, explicitly meet, any werewolves besides Lupin and Greyback, but the impression that we get get is that I actually don't know so like when Wolf, when Lupin goes and like lives amongst other werewolves do you have an idea Jesse of if they're like more like him or more like Greyback
0: I mean I feel like it seemed like it was more like Greyback and that it was sort of like werewolf separatism like living more like a wolf kind of i don't know like it, it just kind you guys kind of kind of got the sense it's like weird like sort of like extremist
1: cult vibes right well i guess right of course because dumbledore sends lupin there to try and stop the werewolves to from going over to voldemort and so mm-hmm. if that's a risk that people think exists then obviously they're not in the same like allegory as lupin at all he's the exception
2: right
0: but i feel like it also goes back to what nicole was saying if if it's a situation in the witching world where if lupin discloses his status as being a werewolf and then he's like fired right. or whatever then it's like you kind of understand where if there were other people it's like well fuck you I'm, I'm a werewolf like let's just let's not even sugarcoat this you know
2: right
1: right but when you have that in the context of and therefore they're going to join the wizard fascist army that's like those two things are not actually analogous i guess
2: no No. but i mean again there's like that seed of truth in there where it's like you know if greater society is like shunning you and making you suffer and telling you that you're unsafe and horrible And then Voldemort, who, you know, not a cool guy, but is like, hey, love you guys. Come on in. Like, you know, it's hard not to feel slightly sympathetic to them in that situation, you know?
0: And I, I feel like, and obviously this whole metaphor doesn't work very well, but, yeah, you know, like a lot of, besides like the Death Eaters and the Dementors, it's like, who are Voldemort's other kind of allies he has werewolves he has giants he has trolls correct Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like other people that the witching society is basically just like well fuck you guys for various reasons right you know and so volor being like well listen i can supply you with your desires and also fuck the ministry and it's sort of like i don't know it's a little bit like how you kind of understand how like tea party and like right wing like extremist get people where it's like yeah you know you really could don't you really just want to do whatever you want to and own a bunch of guns and like not Mm -hmm. have anyone tell you what to do well i have a solution for you Mm -hmm. (laughs) but again the but the problem lies in that there is no like shade there's no really shades of gray with like the werewolves or the giants it just seems they're all just like violent and want to like eat people and you're like that is an actual problem (laughs)
2: Although, I mean, you know, they're not written about, but you assume, you'd have to assume that there are tons of werewolves that are like Lupin and want to live in society for, you know, whether it's because they just want to or they have families and loved ones and whatever who are a part of society. And so because of the stigma, they just have to hide it. You know.
0: I mean, we can assume that, but if only if we only ever see like one "quote unquote" good werewolf, which is Lupin, and then a bunch of like violent, pro-fascist werewolves like Fenrir Greyback and his gang, then it's like you could you could have thrown in another fucking werewolf in there, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely from the point of view of J.K. Rowling, like yeah, that was yeah. If she was gonna try and really make this a metaphor, she fucked up. Surprise! Surprise!
1: So, let's can we talk about gray pack? Yeah. So, one of the things that someone sent, one of our listeners sent, was asking, ooh, asking to talk about the fact that both werewolves and s- both some werewolves and some HIV positive people hurt people on purpose, and then they cited specifically someone in. Italy which i think is where this person lives who was intentionally passing hiv to young women which is what grayback does i mean it's, this person's thing is a one for one analogy to fenrir grayback who delights in infecting as many young children as possible and raising them away from their parents to be violent werewolf fascists with him, which is a great analogy for like being a sociopath, but has literally right. nothing to do with HIV,
2: right? I mean, yeah, yikes is right.
1: exactly really <laughs> like, all I have
2: to okay. say. Is ha- <laughs> okay, so Nicole, I saw, you,
1: I saw
0: you roll your eyes, and I feel like you should discuss why because I feel like you've maybe you've heard this before and you're like,
2: Yeah, I mean, that's like a big. Honestly, even this one person in Italy is not an analogy for Fenrir Grayback because this person is this person trying to create a movement of other HIV positive people to go around and infect everybody and if so, have they had any success in doing that? You know, like Oh, that's true. Like that so no, that doesn't work at all. And then B, I mean, you kind of already said this, but like, yeah, that person is a dangerous and fucked up person, Um, just like anyone else who goes around killing people or harming people on purpose. Like, just because this person also happens to have HIV and that's their weapon of choice, like, that's a coincidence. That's not, that doesn't realistically have anything to do with HIV. And this, like, also, like, gets me a little bit fired up because there obviously is this idea of someone that will go around purposefully spreading HIV that is very, I don't know, scary, I think, to a lot of people. And in fact, if you are HIV positive, having unprotected sex with someone can't is a criminalized act in a lot of the world. And on its surface, it can seem like an okay idea, because if you are HIV positive... You should A, disclose that to all of your sex partners and B, take every step that you can to not spread it to those partners if they're also, if they are HIV negative. So like there's a kernel of truth there, but I mean, setting aside the idea of the prison industrial complex, which we shouldn't set aside, but setting that aside, because that's kind of a whole other can of worms. It's just very problematic to, so there's a lot of factors that go into it. A, a lot of people who are HIV positive um, do not know that they're HIV positive. We do not live in a country or a world where testing is, again, like, we go back to that stigma. Like, getting tested is not something that people do regularly that is easily accessible to a lot of people. And then B, we also don't live in a world where finding out that you are HIV positive is anything less than, like, completely, you know, devastating for a lot of reasons, even though, again, if you are someone who lives in, like, the United States and has access to healthcare, it is, can be managed just like any other chronic condition. Um, You can have a normal lifespan, like, yeah, you have to deal with daily medications, that totally sucks, but, like, it isn't, people definitely still have in their minds that it is the worst possible thing that can happen to you, and the truth is so far from that. And a lot of that, again, comes back to not any actual health ramifications, but to the stigma attached to being HIV positive. And anyway, so if we go back to like passing HIV being criminalized or being, you know, being HIV positive and having sex being criminalized, the world we should live in is one where if you have sex with someone, you have a conversation with them. And you say, hey, when was the last time you got tested? You know, you talk about your status as far as STIs. And if this is a new partner, ideally, no matter what, you use condoms. And I know, like, that that isn't necessarily a realistic scenario, but putting 100% of the blame on someone who's HIV positive is super problematic. It assumes this, like, ill intent that does not exist – for 99% of people. And to be honest, on a certain level, it creates a disincentive to get tested. Because if you don't have a positive test and you don't know you're HIV positive, you can't be prosecuted. But if you've gotten that test and you know you're positive, you have that risk of someone down the line saying, they didn't tell me that they had HIV, whether or not that's true. And, you know, and we know, like, for a fact that, again, penalties, criminal penalties are applied very unevenly in the world and in the United States. And so, especially given who the majority of people who are HIV positive are in this country and the world, being mostly queer, black and brown people, it's, yeah, it's just, it's terrible. (laughs) Uh Yeah, Go, go ahead.
0: No, sorry, I was just gonna, uh, I actually read a really excellent, there's a really excellent comic on the nib about this where the author is talking about sort of how in Canada, like, it's uh, illegal not to disclose your HIV status. It kind of goes through, like, some activism around that and, like, a couple of cases about people who have gotten a lot of jail time because they haven't disclosed their status and, of course, how it, like, disproportionately affects people of color and like immigrants because racism mm-hmm. um and I think I just I'm gonna send to you a we can put it in our show and it's, it's a really excellent comic about like because I feel like until I read that a couple years ago I didn't even know that it was illegal to like like a lot of places have it be illegal to like not disclose your status to your partners yep even yep. though it's like right like in a world of like you know medication and modern medicine there's some people who are like
2: well, I think at the end of the day, it's just we should have a world like we don't live in this like magical snow globe where it's completely easy and normal and shame free to talk about testing an STI status when you're having sex with someone. Mm-hmm. And that's across the board. That's not restricted to people with HIV or anything else like that's. I worked at Planned Parenthood for a long time. I can tell you how dumb everyone is when it comes to sex. Everyone. And, like, that's not to blame on any of these individual people. It's on the world and the system that we live in. It's Abstinence not easy to talk education. about these things. Yeah, l- l- sex education. Like, it's it's not easy to talk about. We don't have scripts for bringing these things up. It's not a comfortable conversation to have. It's stigmatized. And it also, like, feels... Unfa- like, I get it, but it also feels kind of unfair to have HIV singled out when there are tons of things that you can get from sex. You can get hepatitis, you can get chlamydia, you can get gonorrhea, you can get syphilis, and, like, I, obviously there's a level of difference between these things, but at the same time, it does feel really unfair, and it, it again, it speaks to the, like, boogeyman that, like, HIV remains culturally, More so than any medical fact.
0: Can I Mm -hmm. jump in there with some facts? Some fun facts. So, apparently, like, there's a lot of literature and feelings and misinformation around syphilis back in the day. And apparently shit, like, on, like, U.S. Navy boats getting rid of doors that have doorknobs because they were concerned that that's how syphilis was spread. (laughs) And my biggest pet peeve ever... So, the, the reason why public bathroom started having that like paper stuff to put in the toilet seat because the government was telling people that that's how you prevented getting syphilis.
2: People still think that's how you can get chlamydia. So I know people, I I mean, I, this
0: is a completely different rant, but I just like the people who use the women's restroom who are like, I only squat to pee. I'm like, what do you think you're going to get? And they are just going to get pee all over the fucking seat. Just fucking give up just you're not gonna get anything sitting on a public toilet seat.
2: No, and now I'm gonna sit and pee when I go and sit on that toilet seat, so fuck you. Yeah.
1: Also, everyone should watch the episode of Mythbusters where they like tested to find out the dirtiest part of a bathroom and the toilet seat was the most germ free. Right. Oh my god, yes, this is such a
2: pet peeve of mine. You guys, fluids, like fluid to fluid is where the danger zone is, or your hands, anything you're touching with your hands, because again, then you're touching your mucous membranes. I feel like we're all, with, you know, coronavirus, I feel like we're all up on the hand-washing tip, but, you know. But also you can't.
0: But even, like, if people who are like, oh, I don't want to sit on toilet seat. I don't want to get corona. You also can't get coronavirus sitting on toilet seats. So no, just Christ. sit on the toilet. Sorry. This is, I don't know why this makes me so angry, but it does.
2: Well, because it's, people are just, people are concerned.
0: It's like the wrong, it's like the wrong amount of concern for the wrong thing. It's yes. like, it's like, instead of worrying about squatting to pee, worry about washing your fucking hands or vaccinating your fucking kids.
2: Right. Right, like, keep that, like, take that energy and put it in the, like, (laughs) evidence-based place, please. Yep. Anyway. (sighs) So,
1: werewolves. (laughs) So, werewolves. Yeah. Closing thoughts, maybe, on, like, in summary, this (laughs) analogy does not work because, give me a soundbite to put on social media.
0: Okay, listen, Lupin could be a gay, a gay werewolf because he loves Sirius, not because of his werewolfism. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Um... <laughs> Cause, I Because mean, I think also part of it is that the idea that, like, only gay people get HIV, which, of mm. course, is, like, not true at all. Right. And we all know how very queer Lupin is.
2: I mean, I guess somewhere... I guess that doesn't really work as a soundbite but like I guess somewhere else where it does make sense as metaphor is like you know thinking about like oh there's this fear from parents at the school that like because if Lupin's a werewolf like therefore the kids could become werewolves overall there's just obviously a total like ignorance about what it what being a werewolf entails and like how it is spread You know, because even in, you know, 2020, people like definitely like feel like they can get HIV very easily. Um, And honestly, I think, I think this actually, this actually kind of goes back to the toilet seat thing where like people, so like for example, you know, like I work in a hospital and like I feel like people get anxious in like the wrong ways about like, contracting something from, like, whether it's, like, they're a staff member and they're worried about, like, a patient or whatever, where it's, like, really, at the end of the day, like, follow, you know, follow procedures and, like, wash your hands. And, like, at the end of the day, it's, like, werewolves are really good at seeming really scary and they do seem really scary. And what we learn about them in the book is that really, like, They're really not all that scary, unless, like, you know, these unusual circumstances occur where, like, proper measures aren't taken. And again, that kind of does apply.
1: I think that's what we should learn from the book. Right. Like, this is what happens with all, every single one of J.K. Rowling's attempts at social allegory, where it's like, okay, here's what I mean to do right she starts off and like what you just said is where it starts and you're like you know not perfect but like okay and then we get to books six and seven and it's like actually complete rubbish because you just like everything that you started off doing you completely broke down by showing Lupin as like a good sick person and all other werewolves as bad sick people like ranging from being bad sick people to being like dangerous sick, people. dangerous aggressive what? sick people right and we see that with like house elves where it's like Hermione's on the right track and then like the further we get into the books the more it's like they legitimately love being enslaved and like will not be freed no matter how nicely you ask and Look, Azkaban is the worst place on earth. Am I ever going to revisit this and actually call <laughs> for like prison abolition or anything that should reasonably follow from what Azkaban is? Absolutely not. So it's like she just can't follow these attempts from intention to completion. And in fact, just like bulldozes over where she starts and ruins, ends up furthering the stigmas that i think she's attempting to address
2: in a sense that's very much like the real world (laughs) (laughs) oh like oh this thing is terrible let's do absolutely nothing about it
1: yeah except she's like writing for children and trying to like help them become better people and in the end is sending messages that are opposite of what she should be sending and claims to be sending sorry jesse you're you had your hand up
0: oh i was also gonna say that it's sort of the same with giants
1: totally yes don't
0: don't be you know afraid of half giants and then it's like oh by the way giants are awful and i'm like
1: definitely be afraid of real giants unless you know hagrid can do like one-on-one like rebirthing therapy or whatever the fuck it's called that you (laughs) do with children oh no the like
0: oh yeah uh,
1: which is basically what she does with crop let's be real like that's fair
0: um so yeah if you're gonna write about uh illness as a metaphor for any fantasy trope please follow through and think about that first before you uh go through with that sometimes you can just have werewolves and they can just fucking be werewolves
1: yeah, if you're mm-hmm. gonna have a grayback, have grayback be the one exception, and don't have your f- don't have lupin be the exception. Like you did it backwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any closing thoughts, Nicole?
2: You know, great books, poor morals. That's you know, <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah. Read it for fun, not for guidance.
1: Yeah. Get your guidance from the Gailey Prophet and not read <laughs> the books themselves. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's the moral. <laughs> okay, so we're going to have a bunch of links in the show notes where you can read more about why this is a trash take. And that is where we're landing, right? Still a trash oh, take. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, kay. yeah. No, she tried yeah. it. It didn't work.
1: Can you try to do, like, a three-point bullet point of, like, why why it doesn't work?
2: Okay, I mean, the most important bullet point is that people with HIV are not dangerous, Werewolves are dangerous. Like, immediately, full stop, your take falls apart. Um, they're also, because of Fenrir Greyback, it also completely falls apart because, with the ep- a- exception, apparently, of some dude in Italy, HIV-positive people are out here living their lives, not trying to infect other people with HIV,
1: There's also an episode of Law & Order SVU about that.
2: See, that's why I can't watch that show anymore. Like, I just, (laughs) shit like this. I'm like, does this one single person exist in the world? Maybe. Is this the thing we need to be putting on TV instead of just, like, every white serial killer ever? No. Please give me a show that is just serial killers.
0: (laughs) There are so many shows for that. Uh, Also, there's at least, like, three... Purposely infecting people with HIV urban legends that I can, like, think of the top of my
2: head. Oh, my God, yeah. People are obsessed with this idea. And, like, here's the thing, guys. People with HIV are not obsessed with you and giving you HIV. Like, stop it.
0: Also, they're urban urban legends for a reason. They don't actually happen. Yeah. I'm going to send you the list of urban legends,
1: I think, actually. Okay. Yeah, we'll put them in the show notes. Okay.
2: And, actually, uh, this is uh, not really a third bullet point about werewolves, but my third bullet point for every listener is get tested. Talk to your partners about when they've been tested. These are conversations that we all need to be having. Any, you know, anything that you can, you know, get from a sexual partner or spread to a sexual partner is something that you should try to avoid spreading. And HIV is not special in that way. We should all just be having these, like, open, honest conversations. And not just because you're scared of getting HIV, but because you want to be a responsible human.
0: Oh, thanks, babe. (laughs) putting out the good information uh i also just want to say that in case anyone thought of this uh wild wolves are also not dangerous they want to stay as far away from people as possible and eat elk and deer and whatever the fuck else is in the woods so
2: and they're good for the environment
0: yeah so you know make sure your place that you live doesn't hunt them to extinction or whatever the fuck
1: yeah without wolves the deer i'll get to tuberculosis which is a communicable disease that they then die from ironically
0: yeah we have a what is it a, the the deer in michigan have a like a chronic wasting disease that i think people can get because we only have wolves and like the UP in like one island and it's like flying more wolves i'm here i'm pro pro wolf this is a pro
1: wolf podcast. <laughs> pro wolves pro werewolves cool okay good yeah great Thank you so much, Nicole, for talking with us and
0: debunking yeah.
1: this bullshit.
2: Yeah, so glad I finally made it on the pod.
0: Yeah, we'll probably bring you back when we go to the Witching Hospital and book.
2: Yes, five. that's gonna yep. be my moment to shine.
1: Yeah, resident <laughs> uh, healthcare expert. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with a- another rad interview.
0: As you said at the beginning of the episode, you can find us on the interwebs. We are on the big social platforms at The Gaily Prophet. Uh, we're on Tumblr at The Gayly Prophet pod, and you can find us on our website at thegailyprophet.com.
1: You should leave us reviews. You should tell your friends about us. You should repost our things on social media. Um, And yes, if you wanted to find me on the internet, I'm at Lark Malachi. That's L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I on Instagram. Slash that's also the way you spell my website.
0: If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit, where I'm mostly yelling about politics. Or you can see photos of me and my cats on Instagram at... Live from detroit
1: our show art is by theo julian forrester the music in our intro is by kevin mcleod we don't have a spoiler warning for pride month so we'll see you next week stay gay be gay crime. <laughs> be gay be gay to crimes. that's our pride month sign <laughs> <sighs>